It's been five, six weeks. We started this series called The Thinking Rightly. And starting with the thinking rightly about God, the essence of sin and idolatry, according to A.W. Tozer, is entertaining wrong thoughts about God. So why is it important to think rightly about God? And then God's uh, way rather than the world's wisdom? Because the way we think will result in the way we live our lives. So, so far, thinking rightly about God, and as I mentioned before, if you haven't listened to that message, that is a hinging message, the fundamental background of this whole series. So I would strongly urge you to go back to, to online and listen to that message. The second message was on thinking rightly on our priority. What does it really mean to say that we put God first? Thirdly, we uh, learned about thinking rightly about sin. And last week was thinking rightly about marriage and sexuality. And it gets intense. And my summer has been very stressful. <laughs> and today is another really heavy topic, thinking rightly on human life and the unborn. It is about deciding and it is about thinking rightly about what human life, sanctity of human life looks like in our lives, but primarily as far as the issue is concerned, is abortion. January 20th, 1973, the famous Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade have legalized Abortion on demand. So this is a highly political issue and controversy. And as your pastor, I have a confession as we begin. As much as this whole week was difficult, I felt convicted. I felt charged about my need to be faithful to the counsel, to the whole counsel of God. I really didn't, didn't, don't like, I still don't like uh, the political controversies. And my job is not changing the government. My job is preaching the God's, God's word. So I thought I was doing a faithful job. I just realized Passover, seven years, we never spoke on I've never spoken on this topic. And the more I searched the scripture, I, my heart was ached. It's so easy not to go there. Because even this morning, I, I have a tension in my heart. Because this is not a theoretical topic. And some of you, audience at this size, handful of you, women, Ladies have, might have gone through abortion yourself, maybe multiple ab abortion. Some of you men have participated indirectly in supporting and approving the abortion. So some of you already already cards up. Who do you think you are? You're men. What are you speaking on this topic? I'm meaning male. I have a. Another confession that I need to make, of all the topics so far, this one makes me tremble. I'm brokenhearted. Many of you know that my dad used to be, while he's alive, physician. He was OBGYN. He was a, as a gynecologist and non-Christian, until the moment he retired, he refused to go to church. He was a non-Christian. By the grace of God, in late years, in his 70s, he came to know Christ. 
and got baptized. But I just realized my dad probably have gone through hundreds, if not thousands, abortion, performed abortion as a physician and gynecologist. So know that I am not in a position of holier than any of you. And for that matter, we as a church are not in the position of holier and have some kind of a right to judge and condemn others. Not at all. The key point on all this, one thing I really like you to learn, along with me, if you are true Christ follower, who will you listen to? Who will give you, to whom will you listen with attentive ear? Who has a supreme authority on your faith and conduct? If you are not intentional, if you are not trained in your spiritual disciplines, almost all of us, by default, are in, influenced by media, influenced by man-centered worldview. So I ask you, I plead with you, not to me personally, because my opinion doesn't matter. Would you listen to God's voice and through this passage, the several passages that we are going to go through? So it is a complex issue with medical, theological, ethical, legal, social, and personal implications. And lately, I didn't plan this. Uh, long before the Planned Parenthood videos, and I've seen some of them very disturbing, talking about the doctor talking about harvesting body parts and selling those body parts, crunching. That is very disturbing. And the political reaction and CNN talking about it over and over didn't help my heart either. And some of you probably felt tensions in your heart as well. What do I do as a Christ follower? Number two, it's important to think rightly about human life and the unborn because it is full of ramifications with the ripple effect, not only on abortion, but also on euthanasia, and PAS, physician-assisted suicide, and genocide, and more, and the bioethical issues as well. Do you remember a few months ago, uh, there was a woman who had a brain tumor, and she had only a few months to live. And the doctor basically said, this ending will be terrible and painful. And then she made a video what her decision would be, the dying with dignity. And once again, when you think about man-centered perspective, everything sounds so sophisticated. It just makes so much sense. Rather than going through a bunch of pain just to die. And then even not being able to be being herself as she's been because of brain tumor. It made me think about my brother. My brother, some of you don't know this, my brother went through infection. It was an uh, incurable disease called PA, uh, P PML. But by God's grace, the infection stopped. But the effect is there. He has a speech impediment. He still have a, the right side, the right hand. He can't eat right with right hand, although he was right-handed. And he walks with a cane. And thinking about their, 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 her beautiful video and then how she will celebrate and how she will die in the arms of her loved ones and playing 
and background music. The physician will ass assist her dignified dying. How do you argue with that? If you don't consider God's word as supreme authority. It goes on and on and on. Some of you have elderly parents now. Do you know the health care cost for the last two years of elderly people are tremendously high. There are people who are subtly implicating. If we somehow speed up this process of last two years of elderly people who are sick, who are very, very sick, but do not die within two days or two weeks or two months, but takes two years, the health care cost can cut tremendously. Once again, it makes sense if we don't give God's word supreme authority. Number three, it is at the heart of clash between two diametrically opposed worldviews. And this is a time that we need to wake up and actually see how radically different it is to be a true Christ follower is in this world now. And secular humanism is basically based on scientific naturalism. That man came from nothing and macroevolution happened. So we are now no different at all from other living animals. The morals and ethics really doesn't make sense when you don't have an absolute being, absolutely, consistently true, and everything becomes relative. The human life worth becomes relative. In the midst of all this plant parenthood stuff going on, the government, our government, and D.C. White House responded in a very rationalizing way. And then the lion thing happened. Do you guys remember that? And they were upset. Everybody was upset. That how can hunters would... That lion is precious. And we have friends who care so much about their pets. I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> right? A dog's life and human life are relative in the secular humanism. Judeo-Christian theism is, as I just mentioned, there is a God who is righteous, who, consistent, who is consistently, not occasionally, consistently absolutely right. And his word and his, his judgment is holy and righteous. So it's not easy to be a Christian anymore. And it's kind of interesting thing, all week long, I've read too much, probably, and a good thing, it's a good news for you guys, okay? Initially, I thought about some pictures, you know, ultrasound or baby pictures, and then I went through so many things, and there's actually the cross some abortion videos, and uh, no pictures this morning. Okay? <laughs> rest, rest assured that you will not have, have see any pictures. But going back to the point that I'm making here, it is not, to be, it's not easy to be a true Christ follower who oppose God's word as a supreme authority any longer. It's easy to be a Christian who rationalize, compromise to be relevant to the world around us. Your case in point, the statistics that I, I read, there's a turning in public opinion. 
since 97, this is the first time that public opinion, Gallup poll, basically says 51% is pro-life pro and 49% is pro-choice. But the government atmosphere and multi, the mainstream media atmosphere and climate is pro-choice world. Why? Because the whole thing, the whole philosophy of that is secular, built on secular humanism. Our higher institution is built on secular humanism. So, so I, out of my OCD, let me clarify what secular humanism is. Secular humanism is not a secular, I mean the humanitarianism, warm-hearted, thinking about loving people and being compassionate. No. By secular humanism is that there's an atheistic world and man and his five senses are in the center and the final judge of what's right and wrong. And lastly, it is a life and death issue. Just a few days ago, I found this article in Religion News Service, March 30th, 2015, and the, the reporter was a, is a commentator actually, is writing about the incident this year, March 18th, 18th, and he writes, on March 18th, Michelle Wilkins answered a Craigslist ad for baby clothes. When she arrived at the seller's home, Dinelle Lane, a former nurse's aide, aid, attacked her, cut her open, and removed her unborn child. Wilkins survived the incident. Her child did not. Hearing about this horrifying crime provokes a sense of moral repulsion, as well as a demand for justice to be carried out against the killer. But this crime took place in Colorado, and therefore the attacker will not face murder charges. Colorado state law does not recognize the fetus as a person unless the fetus has reached the point he or she can survive outside the womb. Today, 38 states have fetal homicide laws that increase penalties for crimes involving pregnant women or explicitly refer to the fetus as a person worthy of protection. But creating and passing these laws is a contentious process because it takes lawmakers to, to the heart of society's debate over abortion. What is the unborn. So there is a euthanasia PSA, but our focus, because of time issue and because of this centrality of the crisis in our nation because of abortion, we'll focus on abortion only. There are about five questions that I'm asking. What is the unborn? When does the human life begin, and what is a personhood, what is the worth of a personhood? What about woman's right to choose or to control her own body? How should we respond to this issue as Christ followers? I think it's encouraging to know that there are actually some non-Christian uh, pro-lifers who would argue from scientific, from very different method. There's a plenty online. But what, what, like I said, our, our purpose to this morning is to learn to think rightly by leaning onto Scripture as our supreme authority, the ultimate guide. 
So let's jump right into it and ask, what does the Bible teach about human life and unborn? There are actually four things that I'd like to present, just simply. First one is this, human life is sacred because all human beings are created in God's image. So just notice what I said in the backdrop of his secular humanism. There is no one person as a creator, create uh, the person who is always consistently right. But if you look to the Bible, this is what God says. <clears throat> Recorded about creation, Genesis 1:27. Let's begin with that verse. So God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A human life is sacred not because our babies is pretty, as opposed to third world country, the, the babies who are just thinned out so much and the popped out belly with uh, flies all over his face. Ooh. Oh, some of us might be thinking about, oh, you know, the Vietnam War, the famous picture of the girl totally naked, screaming and running. Compare that picture with the French girl who looks so artistic and so pretty, like a magazine uh, picture. What would Typical Westerners, if we are not cautious to think. How do we, by default, complement the kids? Beautiful. Seems so much has more worth. No. This is the point that we really need to get it. God created each one of us in his image. There is no other creatures, no other animals, no other chimpanzees have this image in them. The moral compass, the ability to commune and fellowship with God, for God's glory, God created Man and woman with his DNA inside of us. That's why we have dignity. That's why every human life, including the deformed babies, including people who have Alzheimer and dementia and cra looking, looking like crazy person, human life is sacred. In God's eyes, it's precious. Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Don't get me wrong. Horse's life and dog's life, cat's life, the Bible says, the righteous men do not harm the animals. We are to be gentle and caring for our, our animals around us. We are to rule over them. But in comparison, human life has far more worth than a well. Than any other, any other animals. Let's go one more. Psalm 8, 3 to 6. And not only God created, and he didn't detach himself like a deistic worldview. Look at what he says. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him. 
He's talking about not only himself, but every human being created in God's image. Verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So that's the first point that we ought to get. Human life is sacred, not because he or she deserved to be dignified, worth, but because God created in his image. Number two, the unborn are human beings needed by God from the moment of conception. Probably the primary the passage that we could always go to is David's psalm. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. The whole psalm is actually about that. But he writes very explicitly about this. Verse 13, you, for you formed in my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is what David's writing about what God has done. Let's hear God himself. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, this is the beginning of Jeremiah's call from God. God calls him and says this, Before, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Going to the New Testament, there's a story about Jesus' birth. Virgin Mary was pregnant, and her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist earlier, and she is coming to meet Mary in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Let's go one more. Uh, oh, actually, the, the one more is my story. Do you know that when Kate was pregnant with our first son, Soren, I still remember, still remember, I don't remember number two, three, four. <laughs> Everything seems the same. It was the day the ultrasound and this lady was showing us her, his heartbeat and let us hear it. And then we found out his gender also too. And, and then basically he said, would you like a picture? And she gave me this ultrasound. You know, you guys have that too, right? I carried it everywhere. Or even, I still remember that night. I couldn't go to sleep. This wonder of life just shook me. It was an earth, more than earthquake. I, three o'clock in the morning, I'm writing email to everyone. I don't usually put too many exclamation marks like Henry. I was like, can you believe this? Nineteen seventy-three, when the Supreme Court decision happened between the, the ruling of Roe versus Wade, there was a 
no ultrasound available to the couples. So the pro-lifers I read online these days are trying to reinforce the law. And many states are beginning to put those things in there. So when people, the women come to the clinic and asking for abortion, one of the, the legal responsibility in some states, not all states, to offer whether they would like to see ultrasound, sonogram, or not. It will make a huge difference. Because when, when I looked at the baby, even ultrasound, I, I finally understood what the wonder of life is. And I can't, I can't say that that thing is just blob of, of tissue. You see the, how skewed our view becomes. And I, I'm, I'm going ahead myself, so let me stick to this. Number three, abortion is killing an innocent, unborn human life not just terminating pregnancy. The euphemism helps when we rationalize things, right? When we begin to realize the issue is, is unborn human life or not, then we are forced to face this. It is not just a terminating pregnancy, it is a killing on human life. Interestingly enough, and disturbingly enough these days, the pro-choice movement, the secular humanistic movement is so strong nowadays. Science is on our side. When, when I say on, on our side, just basically pro-life in general. But the hardened, calloused heart of some militant people who are insisting woman's right to choose uh, her options to have abortion on demand is basically all right, all right. It is human life. But the deal, you know, another word came out. It's not a full, full person, personhood. You know how dangerous the ripple effect this is, right? So when your dad and your mom has a dementia and just acts like a crazy person, you can't even contain that person. He's not a person anymore. What about, what about some of us? We know that the friends we have deformed babies or the mental retardation. They're not person anymore. The full personality is somehow reached. When does fetus become a full human? So when you think about life begins at birth idea, many of us know because of medical science these days, technology, the premature birth, babies survive even outside. If it is really human life, Exodus 20, 13, supreme authority is hard to take. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. You shall not kill. This is basically unlawful, evil, intentional taking of another person's life. And obviously, the... Um, this killing is not an all general. Another thing that I think we need to clarify before I forget, uh, most of times among the Christian circle, they will say sanctity of life, implying that it is about human life. But because 
there are people who are coming in to Christian world these days with various backgrounds, especially the Eastern, the, the Eastern ideology and Eastern religion, uh, including the New Age movement. The Eastern thought is sanctity of life, all life, is very clear. So, for example, Buddhists try not to kill anything, not even a fly, not even an insect, anything. They will, they will opt to eat vegetables only because of their reasons. But the Bible says because of distinctiveness of human life, because God allowed and you know basically killing an animal to eat, and even among the animals, their innate nature, God-given nature to glorify God, is to be themselves. They don't have a moral struggle when they're catching the lions. Do not do not struggle over. I should not have done it. And because of this value, immense, infinite value of human life, Genesis 9, 5 to 6, God puts down this principle this way. Verse 5, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, from, and from men. From his fellow men I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Exodus 21 to 20, verse 22 to 25, our home groups went through this. Do you guys remember that? The book of covenant. Remember last week? Let's be very clear about hermeneutical principle, the three types of law, moral law, the Ten Commandments, that is timeless and that is universal, applied to every culture, every time. The second thing is civil law. For the wilderness time, this was a law to govern the civic life of Israelites. This is one of those civil life, civil law. And the third world is a ceremonial law to separate Israelites as God's people, set apart, that, that's what it means to holy, by dietary, dietary, and by, in terms of the way they wear, wear and clothing and stuff like that. So this is not applicable to our practice today. The reason I'm showing you is at the same time, though, what is the principle that God is teaching Israelites and us, which is still applicable? Otherwise, you will throw away the uh, Old Testament in general, right? So listen to this. Maybe the fetal homicide law came from this. Verse 22 of Exodus chapter 21. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out. But there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is a harm, then you shall pay life for life Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, strife for strife. This is the equality of recompense. But think about this. If the baby was lost, baby died, prematurely came out of 
mother's womb, and the man who involuntary manslaughter happened is literally involuntary manslaughter, second degree murder happened. What is the implication? Bible sees unborn babies as a human being, human life. Last one. Summarizing all that is God is the only one who can decide life and death. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 39, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I, I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 40, verse 28. And God puts it in a more uh, saying, this is what it means to have God's solely God's own right. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He has not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In other passages, there is none like you. And that God is trying not, trying not to compete with the human system in the world. And God is the creator of the universe. That he existed before the human history. And even after human history, Revelation 22, verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm missing a slide, so let me just go ahead and read Mother Teresa's quote which summarizes it pretty well for what we've been talking about. She writes, Only God can decide life and death. That is why abortion is a, such a terrible sin. You are not only killing life, but, you, but putting self before God. Yet people decide who has, right to, who, who has to live and who has to die. They want to make themselves almighty God. They want to take the power of God in their hands. And they want to say, I can't do without God. I can't decide. That is the most devilish thing that a, a human hand can do. Through my study, I decided not to go through the details of all these other things about. I'll, I'll, I'll save you the, from the details of arguments and the process of methods of abortion. But I think what's important for me is to reflect on how to think rightly, having heard the scriptures, clear points. And I think about four things, four key underlying reasons for pro-choice arguments. Why people that think, think our mainstream media is thinking the way they are thinking. Here's the first one. Man-centered view what on human life is rather than God-centered view on human life and personhood. I think I said enough. So let me just move on to the next one. Secondly, another underlying reason is assertion of personal autonomy apart from God, rather than submitting to God as the Creator and the Lord. Remember that um, when we learned about how to think rightly about sin is. Sin is not necessarily breaking the law and breaking the rule 
on our own, but it is an offense, personal offense to God. God created us. He is the creator. He is the Lord. He has a purpose for us. And the word that every, every Americans like, if you are not a philosopher, typically we will use the, I like to be independent. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like church telling me what to do. But if you are going into more academic side, and you begin to think about this word, the attractive word is autonomy. Autonomy is, from God's point of view, it's a deadly sin. Autonomy is insisting, fisting, you, waving our fist and say, God, I don't need you. Leave me alone. Yet God created us. Yet God gave life to us. So woman has a right to choose apart from God. A right to control apart from God. Just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with the making the right choices. It's just that when you are considering the fact that you have a freedom, you would like to uh, drink a little bit and, and then drive, that's your freedom to choose. But people get killed because of that. It is against the law. There is an infinite value in human life. And when you are comparing your personal individual right, we cannot supersede that. That's what I mean by assertion of personal autonomy. And third is a disregard of immense worth of a human life. Remember I said a militant uh, pro-choice argument these days, so what is a human life? The pictures and all the body parts and the gruesome videos, just, no one can deny it looks like baby, just small. Well, because it's a potential human. The Bible says the conception and that God is needing and forming now is a human being with potential. That's biblical. We'll think rightly about that. Not potential human who's, decide, who's going to be after certain size of brain and certain size of heart, certain size of... and then become a person. America, United States, and one of very few countries in the whole wide world to still allow the late stage after even 20 weeks, 21 weeks of pregnancy, the late stage abortion. When the late stage abortion happens, is a basically partial birth abortion. If you take the baby out, it's illegal to kill that baby. So partial birth is a baby is partially out and then in, by the instrument and keeping it all the way into the head and crush the baby to die. Where in the world have we come to this, to rationalize? And I'm glad that 38 states have fetal homicide laws now, but just think about that inconsistency. If you are about 20 weeks pregnant and driving down and the drunken driver hits you and your baby's lost, and then you could sue, and then legally that person, the drunken driver, is charged with second-degree murder, involuntary manslaughter. But if you do not get hit by the drunken driver and made it to the clinic to get abortion, it's, it's totally legal. Does that make sense? And lastly, 
it is dethroning God and deciding life and death as one's right rather than glorifying God as his creation made in his image. As I mentioned, it, it will have little effect that you learn this from the scripture and try to debate with people who are militant secular humanists. There is no God, an atheistic per worldview, right? But there will be a day of reckoning. Day of the Lord will come. So don't get angry. Don't get, don't get all white-faced and fist and do the violence who will, will actually taint the name of Jesus and the abortionists to continually become merciful people. I mean, the, the people who are pro-lifers are against abortions to be continually merciful people, love them and care for them. I'm not going to go over every single thing, but I just want to show you the five basic arguments and see if what I discern, the four underlying causes, is really true or not. There are... Um, several, many things. These seems to be the five major arguments for pro-choice. Number one is, it's not a human being or person. It's a just blob of tissue. Argument number two, a woman has the right to control her own body, even if it means uh, killing a potential human in their own language. Argument number three, every child should be a wanted child. Otherwise, it will, lead, it will lead to unhappiness, dysfunctionalism, in other words, more child abuse in the families, and other problems. We're playing God here. Num argument number four, if abortion is made illegal, tens of thousands of women will again die from back alley and closed hangar abortions. My heart aches for that. And I, you know, in a sense, like I could see the reasoning for that. Because it's the pervasive depravity. Men and women will not stop sinning unless we come to God. And it's almost like this. Since you're going to take the drug, and get high as mom and dad, let me be the supplier for you so that you will stay away from the crazy ones. Does that even make sense in that, in that way? But if it is really um, human life that is worthwhile made in God's image, Number five, this is the most difficult one, isn't it? What about a woman who is pregnant to, due to rape or incest? And what about a woman whose life is threatened by pregnancy or childbirth? Let's take the, the last one first. The pregnancy or childbirth threatens mother's life. Roe versus Wade, 73 was not about this. The, up until then, abortion was illegal except the case of this. So this is not uh, a new argument and actually disturbing the argument. And looking through the, doing some research on like statistics, I found out that Less than 1% of abortion is related to this issue. Less than 1% is related to issues, reasons for due to rape or incest. When the rape and incest happen, 
this is tremendously evil. The damage to the woman is just mind-boggling, isn't it? But we should stop playing God and think about this. Think rightly about this. And someone, someone actually said that the trauma that the person received and the trauma that she will go through because of killing of an unborn, unborn baby, when she comes to realization what it really happened, actually doubling. Okay, so let's say there is no way the incest that a lot of deformity might happen and, and uh, the child of a rapist baby, who wants to have it? But it is a human life. In God's eyes, he's precious. She's precious. And our adoption is is really an option that is more life-giving. But there's a lot of shame factor in adoptions. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, as Christ follower, we need to change the view about adoption. Be shaken, be stirred by what God says about the, the heart cries of dying unborn babies. If you and I could say that and part, part, be part of that, we thank God for where we're, we're meeting. Olive Crest is, has founded by Christian motivation to adopt, uh, to provide the help and process for adoption and foster care for those children and babies that are not wanted. Let me close with just three things that we should respond. Number one, we should repent. I'm not talking to the woman and men who went through experience abortions only. We should repent. I should repent of my own silence and passivity. Someone will step up and do the job. Who will cry out? Who will speak for the defenseless? Who will speak for those who cannot speak for themselves? We, we need to see God's heart in this. It is a messy world because of our own sinful depravity. Number two, we must take a stance for life to be the conscience of the culture. Once again, to not think about polarized extreme responses. You don't have to go to Planned Parenthood or the abortion clinic and throw a stone at them or any other violent, and even picketing and shouting with angry voice. But we could be the conscience of the culture. This is not right. God have mercy on us. And our voices will be heard more clearly if we see through our own brokenness, our sinfulness, that we are indeed a murderer, that we killed and so many times in our hearts, Jesus died on, for, died on the cross for our depraved sins. That we are not in a holier ground to judge anyone, to condemn anyone. But we must speak for the right things. Can I be just practical with you? This is so much of an emotionally charged issues. So the social media is the last thing that you want to do. Especially you have a different crowd in, in front of you. 
right? Why, why chase your non-Christian people and secular humanist people away when they need you to be salt and light right nearby you? So I'm talking about it's a dinner conversation. You are ready to share with winsome and gentle and merciful spirit. But take a stance and be the conscience. And lastly, we must live out the gospel as the light of the world to uphold the dignity and sanctity of human life. So, sisters who have memories, very dark memories, maybe you have already dealt with them. Brothers who have indirectly participated. The gospel is this. The abortion becomes a glaringly clear to us that we all need gospel. Not just when we became a Christian, but today. That God is saying, uh, with the psalmist we could say, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? There's no one righteous. But verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With God there is forgiveness. Do you know what? Forgiveness is a gift of God, free, undeserved gift of God. You could be forgiven today, this morning. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to live it out in any way. You don't have to pay back. Try to, by living a religious good life. I ask for forgiveness for our family, the sins of my father. But in yet, the real good news is in the gospel. Broken, contrite heart. I will not refuse. I will not reject, God says. Just imagine that if we embrace them and do our part, not necessarily political activism, but writing to our congressmen, standing on, standing in the voting because of those, these reasons, in spite of unpopular opinions in mainstream media. Participating in adoption and processes encouraging young women, teenagers who are pregnant, weeping with them. That is the gospel. In closing, I think Albert Moeller, his word is well-fitting and very eloquent, so let me just close with this thoughts. Christians must be the people of life in the midst of the culture of death. Even as we are the children of light among the children of darkness, we cannot bear our testimony to the sanctity of life without speaking of the one who came to give us life and life eternal. It is not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are, that Jesus Christ came. It is not because Jesus was so awed by our humanity, but because he knew our frailty and experienced it. And as the, as the writer of Hebrews teaches, even by knowing our temptations, yet without sin. It was because he knew our need that the Father has sent the Son. And it was to his own glory he made that provision. Christians must be defenders of human dignity and human life because we know the value of every single human being, born or preborn, made in God's image. We are stewards of the gospel of Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Thus, we are advocates for life and ambassadors of the gospel. There is no time.
time to waste. What a, what a fitting word to close today's sermon and message. Let's go to God in prayer. I know some of you heard from God. And I'm, I'm concerned, and I, my pastoral heart goes out to the people who have any sort of guilt, especially the true guilt. Can I remind you, God loves you, and Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and there is a forgiveness. And you could simply say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Renew my heart and change to a person that you want me to become. For those of us, including me, felt conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is a good conviction that we were found out with the light of the God's word. Our passivity, our silence, our wishy-washiness is actually unpleasing to God. We prefer more comfortable, tensionless life rather than messy life. Let's go to God and teach me, Lord, to take a first step To all of you, I pray for God's presence of his shalom. But I am reminded by this as well. If any of you who doesn't really know Jesus Christ personally, I'm not talking about your religious standing, that you've been going to church, can I remind you the gospel is good news that you can receive Jesus Christ as a free gift of God's forgiveness and eternal life by his grace and his grace alone through faith and faith alone and in Christ and Christ alone. I would love to talk to you. If you are prompted by the Spirit. Say, Lord, I receive you. And after the service, would you come talk to me just privately? Father, thank you for your guidance. Yes, Lord, we are guided by the lamp that you provide for us in this dimming world. Uh, we are so thankful for your forgiveness and your renewal in our hearts that we don't have to live under the guilt, that if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we praise you for, for forgiving us, for giving us confidence that we are, we are purified. Now teach us to take a stand and live out the gospel to uphold the sanctity of human life and dignity of every person's life. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.